Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wayne County Chambers podcast for the record. We want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Sport Durst of Goldsboro, Goldsboro Builder Supply, and Professional Data Management. The Sport Durst team is ready to get you into a beautiful new Volkswagen, offering open and honest pricing on every vehicle and service. Sport Durst of Goldsboro understands the value of your time and dollars. Providing quality building materials since 1953, Goldsboro Builder Supply is your premier destination for custom designs and excellent service to builders and contractors in Wayne County and surrounding areas. Professional data management offers specialized service and technologies designed to help you gain maximum reimbursements for the valuable services that your office provides. Another huge thank you to our in-kind sponsors, Daniels Furniture, University Lights of Goldsboro, and Johnson Carpet One, who together worked hard to make our beautiful podcast set what you see today. And for the record, we're glad you're here. Ms. Patricia Byer. Yes. How are you? I'm great. How are oh, you? Oh, my goodness. How are you? I'm good. You know, just out here trying to make it on these streets. I understand. You know? <laughs> I, like to, I like to tell people I bob and weave, you know, just <laughs> staying alive. That's it. Well, it is so good to have you on For the Record, our podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've uh, seen you from a distance for a long time, gotten to know you a little bit better over uh, the course of my time in Wayne County, but I'm really excited about learning more about you today. I'm excited to be here and share yeah. more. So tell us a little bit about you. Uh, first of all, uh, you're the director. Give us your title. Okay. So my official title is the chief executive officer for Wayne Action Group for Economic Solvency, also known as Wages. Yeah. Um, that's my title. That's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> I it bet is. it feels that way too. It does. Throughout the, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's good. So how did you get to wages? Like tell, tell us the background. Like where did you come from? How did you get here? I came right from here, right? So I came okay. right from here. Um, ironically, uh, I'm from Goldsboro, but I went to wages head start as a child. Okay. So I tell people all the time that my first experience with, with wages was like, 40 some years ago. And they said, Oh God, you look really, really good. I was like, yeah, I was four. Right. So, um, so that's my first experience. I'm born and raised here in Goldsboro. I went to Goldsboro high school. And so went to college and, uh, came back home. And where'd then you go to college? I went to, um, to North Carolina Wesleyan. Oh, nice. Started off at Barton, which was, okay. uh, Atlantic Christian college, I think still then. No, it was, it was Barton at that point. And so, um, and then, uh, went to Wesleyan and finished and then came back home. Um, and could not find, it was like the mid to late nineties, could not find, um, a job necessarily in my field. So I had to go to the department of correction. My father had a fit, but I went to the department of correction cause I needed, um, experience all the jobs. Apparently everybody in Wayne County was coming back at that time with some kind of education. And so the social work jobs and the things that I was looking for, um, were field. And so I went for one year to the Department of Correction. I worked there and then um, applied for several jobs um, and, and got offered all of them. I applied for four here in Wayne County. I won't talk about the other three that I applied to, um, but I chose the wages because it was so familiar, I think, to my family. And I knew about it. Didn't know a lot about the rest. I mean, I was 23, 24 out of fresh out of college, except for that one year. And so um, I chose the wages. And so that is where I have been ever since. Started as a social worker there. Um, and then uh, was the director for children and families for significant for the most of my tenure there. And for the last seven years, I've been um, the chief executive officer. 
Okay. And you tell us about your family a little bit, if you don't mind. So, um, again, I'm one of four children born here right. in Wayne County. My parents had four girls in five years. Right. Your and poor dad. My poor dad. I'm the <laughs> oldest of four girls. <laughs> uh, born here right in Goldsboro. Um, my mother is from northern Wayne County. And um, so I always tell everybody we all went to Head Start and we all uh, eventually went to college and are all in the helping fields. Uh, my sister's in teaching and social work and nursing and uh, things of that nature. And so, and I also have four children and i um, super excited about that. And one is still in Wayne County Schools. Uh, one goes to Wayne Community. Uh, one is a young attorney. Uh, yes, finished all of them finished from Wayne County Public Schools. And so very excited about that. And um, that's pretty much who I am. I love my family. I love the work that we do. I always tell people that chief executive officer may be my official title, but I am always going to be a social worker at heart. Mm-hmm. And I love social work and I love human services and, and uh, what we do for the community and what all of those in those helping fields do for the community. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about wages. What, what, what is it? It is a community action agency. We are one of about a thousand community action agencies. Um, across the nation, um, all began in the na- mid-1960s as part of President Johnson's War on Poverty. Wages has been around since 1966 and actually was started, founded on this road right here, right here on William Street. Oh. A little house right here on William, not really, really adjacent to this campus, close to this campus. That's cool. And so that's where Wages started in 1966. And so uh, Wages will celebrate 60 years in Wayne County, Um in, two, in a couple of years, yeah. right? And so that's really, really great. We've expanded a lot. Now we're a regional organization, again, started in Wayne County, headquartered in Wayne County. But we now have offices in, um, in uh, Pitt and also Wilson counties. We serve uh, six or seven, seven counties here in eastern North Carolina. And so we're really excited. So we uh, provide services related to housing, energy efficiency. Um, we address food insecurity with our Meals on Wheels program and our Congregate Meals for Seniors. Um, we are. We have the largest, second largest Head Start program, single county Head Start program in the state of North Carolina. Um, we also work a lot with seniors, with volunteers, workforce development. Um, we're getting more into housing. I'm very excited about that um, because that is such a need in our community. So wages exist to um, discover the reasons for poverty in our community, but then also to find solutions to address uh, those those issues. And our uh, vision is that everyone has the opportunity to achieve their optimal potential. And that's everyone from the newborn uh, baby that we serve to the 106-year-old who gets Meals on Wheels. Um, that is our, that's our vision. And so uh, to that end, those are the types of programs and services that we provide, but also advocacy for those who are experiencing, um, you know, economic instability or um, injustice in any way or any kind of disparity. So that's what we exist to provide services and programs and offer solutions, but also advocacy. Well, that's a lot. It is a lot. I mean, that is a lot of uh, ground covered, I think. So people have probably heard of Meals on Wheels. And that started right out of you guys. Yes. That is that's cool. Yes. I know you're proud of that. We are very proud of Meals on Wheels. Because how, many, of cause how many, I mean, in Wayne County, how many families are served? On the Meals on Wheels program, we um, we provide, with, our kitchen produces about 1,500 meals a day. And that little kitchen on Royal Avenue. meals a day. So those meals um, include um, meals for children, probably about eight or 900 of them. 
and or maybe a little greater, maybe closer to a thousand for children, and then another five hundred, just five to seven hundred for seniors, because we provide uh, meals for the congregate site um, at the Peggy Seeger Center mm-hmm. here in town, but also at a congregate site in Mount Olive. Um, where seniors can gather and get good information and fellowship mm-hmm. and have a nutritious meal because we know that food insecurity is huge for senior citizens yeah. in our community. And then, of course, we do the Meals on Wheels. Um, we, are, um, we go out um, and do uh, warm, hot meals for seniors. And have a, that requires a lot of volunteers. So our community really steps up to make sure we're able to get those meals delivered. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So you need volunteers for that all the time. Yes. How many... How many volunteers does it take to, because uh, you guys do this every day? Every day. So how many volunteers does it take to execute that program daily? And then um, I guess, uh, yeah, we'll start there. Well, we have a lot. We have routes. And so before COVID, we were one of the few programs in the state of North Carolina to still do um, home delivered meals, warm meals, hot meals every day, five days a week. And then when COVID happened, we had to make some adjustments because uh, out of safety and security concerns, not only for um, for those that receive the meals, but for our volunteers, because many of them are senior citizens, too. And so that impacted it. But so it requires um, hundreds of volunteers, to be honest, because the number of meals, even though they're set up in routes, because sometimes, you know, certain groups take one day. Um, to do meals like certain churches may say every Monday they're going to do a right this certain route, or mm-hmm. they may say every Wednesday, and so it takes a lot of volunteers to make it work. Hundreds of volunteers. Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't remember. I mean, we we did. I've done that before, and mm-hmm. it there's a lot of routes. There's a lot of routes, and it's kind of all over the county. We we um, serve the entire county with the routes. Yeah. And this so, is a big county. It is a big county. The boot is a big county. Yeah. So all the way from northern Wayne County, all the way to the most southern ends, um, that's how we do it. And so all of those routes require volunteers. Yeah. That's that's exciting and it's meaningful. I mean, uh, it's the basic. It's a basic need. It is. And people, you know, underestimate. I think the amount of people who don't have regular access to meals. Absolutely. And for us to, you know, it's a sense of security and having a safety check. A lot of the seniors that we serve, they may have outlived a lot of their family members. Um, They may no longer have family members in this area. They may be out of the area. Um, And so having that wellness check, I think, is important as well, as well as the fact that we found that depending on self-report, a lot of seniors, probably about 15 to 25 percent of the seniors, this is the only meal they have a day, every day. Um, and some, I really feel like sometimes it's higher because some of them count a piece of toast and coffee as mm. a meal, and that's not a meal, right? Sure. And so um, it's very, very important. Very, yeah. very important. Addressing food security among our senior citizens and our children. Yeah. Everyone, actually. Um, so, yeah. And it's a commercial kitchen. Like, it's a full kitchen. It's a full commercial People kitchen. People really cooking. People really cooking. Real meals. Real they meals. package them up. They, yes. There's a whole system. I mean, it, it is a really, leg- I mean, it's a. It's a powerful, big, you know, deal. Yes. There's a lot happening. And there's a registered dietitian that oversees the menus for both the seniors and the children. And so um, we are very fortunate to have that. That's a partnership with the health department. Okay. Uh, They're dietitian, um, particularly for the children's meals. And so all of it has to meet certain standards uh, because we don't, it's not just a meal. It has to meet um, the daily nutritional requirements and make sure that it is, you know, a good source of energy and nutrition uh, for the children and for the seniors. So that's so cool because I think, you know, when people ask me now in the future, because when I think of 
wages, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, I think, but when I think of wages, I tend to think of a lot of different things, but feeding people is not always the first thing. So now when someone asks me, I'm going to say, well, they help feed Wayne County because mm-hmm. literally you're feeding Wayne County. Yes. That is that is wild um, and great. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for all the work that you do there. So you do the... Um, you do that. You say you're going to get into housing. Explain that. What does that mean? So we are already doing some things with housing because we have the weatherization program. Okay. And that is a program that makes sure that homes are energy efficient and that they are warm in the wintertime and cool in the summertime. And so that is um, a, depart- um, a program that's funded through the Department of Energy mm-hmm. and I passed through to the state of North Carolina Department of Environmental and Natural Resources, Diener. And so that program exists in Wayne, Wilson, Lenore, Green, Wayne, Wilson, Lenore, Green, and Pitt counties. So five, those five counties. And so we go in, the majority, probably about half of the homes that we do, that we go into are for older Americans. A lot of times, seniors have worked really, really hard to be able to, you know, buy a property. But then when it comes times for things like HVAC uh, units and things of that nature, they don't have the resources. Those things are very expensive. And also a lot of their income, which is fixed income for a lot of seniors, is really put into things like utility bills and things of that nature because a lot of times the appliances or the homes may not be energy efficient. So we're trying to make sure that we ease the energy burden, which means the utility bills go down um, by doing things like making sure there's appliances and that um, that meet um, um, the guidelines and they're energy efficient. Looking at you know HVAC systems to make sure that they are safe but also provide the source of um, heat um, or air that is that is recommended or needed and all those things. And so um, that is what we've been doing with the, um, we also have a healthy home programs as a part of that um, weatherization program that actually goes in and removes barriers to people's homes being healthy, like, um, you know, wheelchair ramps and, you know, septic units and all those things. That is a separate and apart from the, from the Department of Energy contract that was uh, funded by Blue Cross Blue Shield. Mm-hmm. And so now we are getting ready. We saw a need um, as a part of our community assessment and in our day-to-day work um, with the fact that, it, as I'm sure you know, there's not, um, to my knowledge, um, unless it's just recently have been added, a lot of options for single parents with children who are experiencing um, housing instability or who are unhoused, otherwise called homeless here in Wayne County. And so we have, uh, we see it a lot uh, with some of the families that we serve through our child development programs because we run Head Start, Early Head Start, as well as private child care. Uh, with families struggling, and particularly single single moms or single fathers who are um, facing housing instability. And so our board just voted a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, it's not even really been published or publicized that we are going to be uh, using uh, some of our own agency funds to do to invest in homes uh, in Goldsboro and Mount Olive for those who are facing housing instability and housing insecurity, particularly single parents with children. So the creation of homes or the um, purchase Purchase of homes, um, and that we will be using as uh, temporary and or transitional housing for single parents with children. Outstanding, because it's a huge need, and so Mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that we address that. But it won't just be the housing need that will be met. Um, There's other things that we have the capacity to do. Like, of course, we'll be addressing food security. Right. We'll be addressing child care because we run, you know, Head Start as as well as private child care, workforce development, budgeting. Yeah, you've mental, already, mental you've already got services. all those wraparound services already. So, I mean, it, it yes. does make sense. Including mental health services because we have licensed clinical social workers yeah. on staff too. So we're very excited about that and helping to meet that need. Um, 
because we are seeing that a lot. And we know that that definitely impacts a child's growth and development, being able to be in a house or in a home uh, versus, um, you know, right now for a lot of the families, the transition or temporary housing is hotels or motels. Right. And um, we have seen that a lot and have, um, you know, um, had to place folk in those because it was not safe for them to be in the car or wherever they were with children. Um, but we find that this will hopefully this will be a model that we will be um, developing that will be uh, sustainable, but also that will be able to provide that temporary support for those uh, families with young children. And perhaps even uh, take some underutilized properties, I would guess. Absolutely. And put them into better use. Absolutely. And that's yeah. a great thing, too, because with our weatherization program, yeah. we are fortunate. And with our maintenance department, we are for- fortunate that we have a licensed general contractor on staff. Right. Yeah. And we've got a weatherization department made up of all construction crew and yeah. electricians and HVAC certified folks. It makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah, we're able to do that. So we're happy and excited that's to be able great. to do that, to be able to utilize our capacity. Well, and I was in a conversation uh, several years ago with uh, Self-Help Credit Union. Yeah. Yes. I know you're familiar with yes. those folks out of Durham and they, they do great work. And we had gone to Durham because when I worked for the city and we were, we started being introduced to this housing issue in a more, well, at least for me, I was being introduced in a way that I had not before. And self-help credit union is uh, for folks who don't know, it's a CDFI, which is basically a nonprofit bank sure. That helps fund uh, things that a bank may not, a traditional bank may not get involved in, or um, they just have different ways to capitalize things. So they had done quite a bit of work in Durham uh, in terms of housing and food and some other things. And when we were talking about um, when we were talking about Goldsboro, they had been here before. Yes. But they had not succeeded. Their properties that they had gotten involved with had not succeeded. And I was like, well, take me through why that is the case. And they said, well, a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, there wasn't enough uh, prepared home buyers. Mm-hmm. Like if they were, you know, if it was going to be home ownership, for affordable home ownership, uh, subsidized home ownership, mm-hmm. the, uh, the folks who meet the criteria are not um, ready from a from a, um, a loan acceptance standpoint mm-hmm. and they couldn't get people qualified. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they said they couldn't get people qualified was the bigger issue in Wayne County and why this matters so much, I think, is because they did not have credible chodos. They did not have credible nonprofit organizations in the community who had the capacity to deliver on these products and had the reach uh, throughout the community to try to get people advanced and qualified and ready at, for home ownership and then supported after home ownership. Yes. And I was like, you know, I just took for granted that that, that existed, but in rural North Carolina, in rural Eastern North Carolina yes. and in the county we live in and the city we live in, there was a huge deficit of people yes. delivering that service. Yes. Not that there's not people delivering it, but that there was not enough people delivering yes. it. And at that time we were not. I mean, certainly I know that we qualify to be a chodo now, but but I think that we were qualified at a point, but I don't think that was the duration wages was going in at sure. that time. Sure. And so I think, and that was prior to my to my um, to my tenure in this role, but certainly we're looking at all the opportunities that we can use to support Wayne County 
as our as our main county, but also the surrounding counties that we serve as well. And so um, you're right. I think that when we look at it from a comprehensive perspective, um, there's going to need to be some more time and attention paid to that. Yeah, that is that is so cool. So how big does your staff have to be to be able to pull all of this off that you do? I mean, so our staff is between uh, 250 um, to 300 fully staffed. Um, so I think I think around 270. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. I can't even manage me. <laughs> <laughs> You're managing 270 people. That is crazy. What's the hardest part of that? You know what? Sport Durst Volkswagen Mazda of Goldsboro is proud to support Wayne County Chamber of Commerce. Family owned and operated, Sport Durst knows the importance of keeping local money local and supporting the community. We put our customers first with the area's best pricing, best trade-in value, and best selection of new and pre-owned vehicles. Come experience the Sport Durst difference where customers and community come first. I love what I do, and I love that. I think the hardest part is just making sure, wanting to make sure that everybody's needs are met, right? So I know that, you know, we've got great supervision, great leaders leaders um, that really hold together all those departments because we run 12 or 13 different programs. And as I mentioned, um, six uh, counties, six or seven counties. And so it's just important that we may, I want to make sure that the staff have the tools that they need to be successful, right? We know that they have, hopefully they come in to us with the passion and the concern and the care, um, but then also making sure they have all the other tools that they need as well. And so, and then, you know, we're working with multi-generational staff, as you can imagine, um, and multiple counties. And so, um, so it it can, it can be very uh, interesting, and very fun. <laughs> I like that. I like how you say that with a smile, you know. Very interesting and very fun. Very interesting and very fun. I'm going to tell myself that too. Yes, just, but the main is, thing is that we all, you know, I believe, um, you know, the goal is that we all fly information as we, you know, serve the community because that's yeah. what we're there for. That's right. End of the day, it's the same mission. Yes. That's good. That's good. And I would imagine that uh, you're gravitating people who, like you said, care and so they're bound a little bit to, they're bound to the mission first. Yes. And, and uh, I think that's, it's always fun to work. It's a great culture, I think, to work in places where we're people mission are driven. aligned on that mission. Yeah, we that's are right. definitely mission driven. That's right. Definitely mission driven. That's good. All right. So partnerships, I think uh, I would imagine, and I could be wrong, but I would imagine that an organization like yours to pull off what you're pulling off um, is more than even your staff, it's partnerships. Yes. So take us through what that looks like. Cause when we, a lot of times when people say partnerships, they mean, um, kumbaya, we, we like each other yes. and then we shake hands and we're partners. I would think it's a little bit more to it than that. It's way more than that. Yeah. Right? Can you explain that to us? Yeah. And cause you know, we, we know that there's no one entity, no matter how big you are. And certainly we know that we're the largest, they can do everything in any community, right? It takes mm-hmm. all of us together working coll- collaboratively mm-hmm. and cooperatively to make it happen. So, so true p- partnership, you know, a lot of times involves, um, you know, memorandums of understanding, either re- informal or formal, right? So we know, we know what our role is in this partnership. Right. You know what your role is in the partnership. And so that's a great way to make it happen. So we pretty much partner with, you know, every human service agency that we have, certainly here in Wayne County, 
um, and in the surrounding counties that we, we work with too. But we have very strong partnerships um, for everything from, you know, services on aging to uh, the community college, the school system, um, DSS. We have strong partnerships, I think, uh, with everybody who's aligned with doing the type of work that we're doing um, in collaboration and in partnership for the community. Mm-hmm. And I guess you, what about the county and the city? The county, uh, yeah. the city, um, it goes on. I mean, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The municipalities, um, uh, um, business. I mean, we have a lot of strong partnerships um, with a lot of different entities in Wayne County because, again, we're mission-driven, and it's about the mission, making sure that we provide um, economic security and economic self-sufficiency to those who have experienced poverty or any kind of adversity. Mm-hmm. Well, let's dive a little deeper in the um, this poverty issue, yes. can we? It's complicated. It is. And I, we're not going to solve it in our conversation today or anything, but um, I'm trying to help all of us understand it better because the word is used a lot. It's become, unfortunately, political. Yes. Um, but... Our understanding of that really impacts, I think, some of these other things that we want to talk about, like child care. Sure. Um, So when when we say poverty, can we arrive at a can we agree upon a definition? What is the definition of poverty in from wages or from your standpoint? Well, I think there's a lot of definitions of what poverty is and what um, economic um, instability is. But what I can say is. Uh, for example, just looking at the federal um, guidelines for what the federal poverty guidelines are, um, a family of four uh, makes a little less than $28,000 a year for a family of four. That's how you arrive at the poverty at the poverty stats uh, for what we have here. So that means when you look at that, that seems like a very small amount of money um, for a family of four. And so anybody um, that meets that threshold is considered to be living or under that threshold is considered to be living in poverty. Right. So, yeah. So there's an official designation, you know, uh, most people wouldn't know that, but there's an official designation for what that means. So in Wayne County, that number is high. It is. It comparatively. Is yeah, comparative know, to, to the state average. So what is that number? Do we know it right off? Well, I can tell you the number that about one in four children in Wayne County are experiencing poverty based on the federal poverty guidelines. But um, when you look at, when you broaden that out, because that is so narrow, right? 28,000 is very, very small because yeah. there's something oh, yeah. called that that standard, but also the living wage standard, sure. which, you know, is separate and apart from that. Um, when you look at the state median income, the county median income, all those other things, a lot of times people look at that as an indicator of poverty as well. So for children, for in Wayne County, I think about 20% of the population is in poverty, but for children, that number is high. As higher as I mentioned before, it's 25%. But when you say children that live in homes where you're um, with, without economic stability and that fluctuate in and out of that federal poverty guideline uh-huh. or the state median income sure. or any kind of indicator that is less than um, what the typical is, that is that is more than 50%. And so and so when you so looking at that, um, and we talked about that I think the other week in the, at the lunch when you look at those numbers, that's the difference between what it says a lower income household and a and an income in a household in poverty. There is a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but poverty is poverty nonetheless. Well, and I think, you know, uh, anybody who's listening to this, all they have to do is is be, just look at their own lives. Yes. And they'll know what these numbers mean. Yes. I mean, if, if somebody is making double that, 
56000 for a family of four, they are still very poor. Yes. I mean, I don't know what house they're able to live in. I don't know what, yes. they, how they, I don't know that they could afford childcare, yes. uh, which we'll get to. I mean, there's a lot of things that they can't afford. Yes. Especially when I just, we were just talking about part of what our board looked at and looking at the housing issue is the fact that the market rate uh, from coming from North Carolina Housing Coalition for um, for rent in Wayne County is that, if I'm not mistaken, I think $918 a month, Oh, something yeah. like that. And for me, that was very surprising. Well, and if you, all you just be a, be anybody, go right now uh, to right. Wayne County, try to find a rental unit. Just try to find one available. Yes. All right. There's not going to be almost anything. Yes. And then there's going to be some houses that are available. And you're going to pay right now, uh, and I know this because I've looked, between about $1,400 and about $2,500 a month. Yes. For rent. Yes. Yes. That is crazy. Yes. I mean, almost anybody. Yes. That would be expensive for. Absolutely. That's almost everybody in Wayne County. Yes. Except for maybe the top 10%, perhaps even less than the top 10%, where $1,500 a month is a lot of money. Yes. And the housing burden is like 30 to 31% here in Wayne County. Huge. So- so and th- housing burden, just define what that means. Um, it, that means that, you know, what your what your um, burden on your on your total income of housing would be. And we all know that for most of us, your mortgage or your rent is going to be your biggest expense anyway. Um, and so there's so many people when you look at those poverty guidelines or the median income guidelines that and you just mentioned, you know, I talked about the fair market rate being 918. But you're right. That is an average. Think about for the most part to find something that might be acceptable for most, it's going to be much more than that. And if you are living off of um, uh, $28,000 or $56,000 for a family four, that's going to be very difficult. Very difficult. I mean, because you can be making $100,000 and it's still going to be difficult. That's right. And so that is wild. So childcare, something that's near and dear to my heart and I think uh, the heart at least Chamber of Commerce and to a lot of people, of course. But yes. Um, and that's very impressive about what you do is childcare. Something that don't has dawned on us. I don't know why just now, but maybe seeing at the macro level, some of these um, results of kids not being ready for school and kids just continuing to fall behind, fall behind, fall behind, fall behind. The outcomes of that are so substantial. Mm-hmm that it's hard to kind of uh, quantify. So um, my understanding, you talk with Ms. Valerie Wallace mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. the Partnership for Children, mm-hmm. and she'll tell you that they can only account for about half of the kids in Wayne County being in any... Regulated child care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that is, that is about right. Um, and that is because, you know, a lot of families... Um, are relegated because they can't afford child care. So sometimes children may be with a relative or sometimes there's communities where your children, a groups of, of children, uh, the families may go out to work and the family, they're watched by one person in the neighborhood, um, multiple children and not in a regulated um, situation. And so, yeah, you know, I think really one thing that COVID really shone a, shined a light on um, was the fact that child care is necessary in order for us to have a vibrant workforce. Most of us, um, or many of, of the people in the workforce, have children who are at the age where they need care. 
um, if the fam- families are not there. So either in school or, you know, after school care, before, after, and certainly birth to five, it is going to be uh, child care or early education services. Well, and as I like to talk about it, you know, hey, it's an existing workforce problem. Yes. And it's a future workforce it problem. It is. It's an existing workforce problem because uh, the folks who need to go to work can't yes. because of the instability of the situation that we're in. It's that dire. Yes. So I would imagine that every uh, workforce of any size already knows this to be true. Mm-hmm. Whether they've thought about it long and hard, they know that child care is a huge problem to their their own to the stability of their own workforce. But it's a future workforce problem because if those kids cannot read at third grade level, by the time they're in third grade, we got real problems. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's science. Yes, it's going to be, yes, it's going to be our workforce development. When you look at, you know, as you mentioned, uh, not being able to read, and we know that right now the last indicators were 36% children who left, uh, only 36% of children who left third grade here in Wayne County, we're able to read at a third grade level. Hold on, hold on. You got to stop there. You said that was such a smile. Say that again, because I think people need to hear that. Um, The latest stats that we have and that were shown as part of the um, the report That was 2021, is that right? Yes, for Wayne County. And we know that COVID impacted that. We were making some headway and substantial headway, I think. But um, but now, yes, the latest numbers are that only 36% a little more than one in three children uh, in Wayne County who leave third grade can read at third grade level. It's heartbreaking. It is. That's it is wild. heartbreaking. That is a wild, And wild you're right. Number. It is a future workforce issue yeah. um, because when you look at um, employability skills and ability to be able to, you know, literacy skills, everything. Um, and when you work, you have to be able to do those things. When you look at um, technology and all the things that come into being, uh, with a healthy workforce right now, um, those things, those foundational skills are paramount to the success of not just that individual, but an entire community. Which makes me think about how in more vital wages is. Yes. Because if wages didn't exist, if tomorrow wages did not exist, this is what I always tell businesses. Yeah. I say, hey, I want you to imagine if you went away, mm-hmm. would anybody notice? hmm you know, when we're trying to think about how they choose to partner or market or whatever they do in their business, you know, to get them thinking about, you know, how to attach. But if wages went away tomorrow, it would be a mess. Yeah. Correct? Yes, I would say so. There'd be a lot. How many child care centers do you guys? We operate 12. We operate 11 child care centers here in Wayne County. Um, And most of those we provide Head Start and Early Head Start. But we also have... um, Private child care. So there are families that can uh, get, come to private child care uh, through wages as well. And so not just that, you know, when you look at that, all those is about 800 children that we serve every day. So those children would not have care. Um, it's, um, again, it's, it's 500 plus seniors that we serve every day. Um, so they would not have care. Um, would not have, uh, they would not have their uh, issues related to food security addressed. It's homes that we weatherize throughout this region that would not be. So there's senior citizens that would not uh, have heat. Um, There are people that would continue to be unhoused um, because we provide that service. There are folk who would not be reaching economic self-sufficiency through our CSBG program, where we provide case management and help folk to go from living in poverty to rising above the poverty guidelines and maintaining that through education and workforce uh, services. And so there's a lot of things that would not happen um, if we did not exist. 
two, almost 300 people wouldn't have a job. That's the truth. And that's huge There's for this economy. There's a lot of economic impact. It is. So, it is. Uh, and I think it's also an argument for why we need good wages. Yes. That's yes. not, that's the lowercase wages. The wages with the lowercase letters, that's right. Uh, living wages. Living wages. Uh, living so wages. It's it's an argument for economic development. It is. For our, for our um, you know, people sometimes complain about the, you know, incentivizing industry or people who, you know, come in or create jobs. And I think, oh, no, incentivize away because what people need most is jobs that yes. pay enough to yes. allow them to afford to live. Yes. And have a have a life, you know, and. Um, and we know that, you know, you know, historically, there are two ways that people have believed historically that folk can break the cycle of poverty. And that is through education and employment. Right. Yeah. So. When you begin at the very earliest stages, as Correct. we do with early education, and then when you that continues on, and then when you provide the workforce development services, and and so even with the children who are enrolled in our Head Start Early Head Start program, their families are assigned social workers to help them um, reach economic self sufficiency as well. So that's eight hundred any given day, but over a thousand over a year, more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, that we serve with those families are also in the course where their children are receiving early education services. Those families are able to get assistance with things like, um, you know, um, um, completing their goals around education, employment, getting better jobs, you know, resume writing, all those things, skill sets, you know, finishing their, um, you know, education, whether it be a GED, high school diploma, you know, associate's degree, whatever certifications, whatever four-year degrees, whatever is necessary to help them um, to increase their economic self-sufficiency and increase the situation, enhance the situation for themselves and for their family. So it's really wraparound services. It's not just one service sure. because when they come for one service for us, there's multiple services that are attached to that. Yeah, no, that's great. And, uh, and I tell people all the time, um, if there, if there was one place that I could spend money, prioritize, whatever, it would be It'd be childcare. It would mm -hmm. be the pre-K season of children's lives because I think you solve, if you do that well, I mean, let's say we turn that liability into an asset, we would become one of the most attractive places to live. Yes. And we would have one of the most ready workforces eventually that exists. And the stability and, and reduction in poverty would decrease, it I would. think, considerably. So if there was one problem I could solve, and there's a lot I'd like to see solved, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's that one. Yeah. And I appreciate the work that you all are doing on, on that so much. Thank you. But back it up even before pre-K, you know, yeah. birth, learning starts at birth. Well, that's what I mean. I, I guess what I mean, when I say pre-K, I mean everything before kindergarten. Yes. I mean, from the time, from, a, birth. From, from, from the time, really from the time of conception, Yes, you know, helping mothers, helping Absolutely. families. Uh, in that process all the way until that child reaches kindergarten. I because agree. if they're ready for kindergarten, the likelihood of their success goes way up. It is. And that is the biggest return on investment that yeah. we can do is to invest in early education programs yeah. and child care for, very, for the very youngest children. I mean, I even think about, I mean, I think about, we, we talk about, I was talking to someone the other day about the third grade reading scores and we're talking about you know, we're strategizing as a community and working really great together to look yeah. at, you know, solutions for that. Um, but I think about my own children and how they were reading myself. You know, I mentioned that I went to Wages Head Start. I was reading before I went to kindergarten. Um, my children read before they went to kindergarten. And I really believe that, you know, we know that reading 
is so pivotal when you talk about, you know, future success. And everybody, so certainly I don't expect everybody to, to go to, to read before kindergarten. I know that there's children that we have that leave us that can read. There are a lot that can't, but it does not mean, but they're well on their way. They have the foundation in place for success and for future success by having those uh, pre-literacy skills, by having those literacy skills, by having exposure to books um, and language um, and all of those things is really, really um, a great indicator of how a child may be as they transition from childhood to adulthood by being able to have that exposure to literacy at a very, very early age. So as a community, what can we do? We can. What can we do together? I mean, what, what is, what, you're, you're here to preach, give suggestions. What, what should we do to help? I think that we have to peel back the layers of the onion. And I think as some of the things, the conversations that we had um, a couple of weeks ago at the luncheon where we talked about with NC Child about um, the, the data and the stats is just looking at how we can work collaboratively, but looking at where we have um, the biggest issues of disparity, but also the biggest room to grow. Right. So I always think that when I think about potential, I think about that we have the most because we have so far to come from. When we look at what the state rates are as it relates to third grade reading scores, which are not phenomenal, by uh, the way, sure, right? Yeah. It was still, I think, only 49%, only half. Right, right, but right. certainly half is better than a third. Yeah. Um, that but lead. you know, probably most of those stats are being weighted by the cities or by the, you know, the larger areas with, you know, great tax revenue. Yeah. They're able to, you know, their schools, their child care. I mean, the wages, everything. Yes. I mean, if you, I think Wake County and Mecklenburg County are probably lifting the, that number to be a little bit more inflated than it probably is in rural. When you talk about the entire state. I'm talking about certainly, the entire state. Certainly, certainly you have that. You have that the high, the higher numbers that make up for the lower numbers. And I, as I always tell my friends on a lot of the, you know, state boards and all these commissions and things I'm on, everything is not Raleigh and Durham That's correct. and Charlotte, right? That's right? There's some of the rest of us That's right. who are operating and, you know, under-resourced communities right. that may not have, you know, the same um, opportunities. That's right. Um, and so I just think, um, but, but with that, how can we capitalize on the opportunities and yep. the resources that we do have and work together and, you know, look at capacity to kind of strengthen that and realize, as was said even in that meeting, that these children belong to all of us. We can never have uh, the flourishing community that we all want to see if more than half of the community is left behind. And have a local solution. Yes. That, like we don't have to wait for, you know, the state or the federal government. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's wrong or bad. Yes. I, that's not, this is not a political statement. Sure. I'm just saying leave the politics out of it completely. Like you said, these are our kids. This is our community. We want everybody winning Let's 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 work on our own solutions. We don't have to wait for somebody else. Yes, to give us permission to do what we can, what we're able to do. Absolutely, within the means that we already have. Exactly, and we can work within the resources that we have. That's right, and see how we can maximize what we have to make that's sure. Right. And again, like I said, peel back the onions and look at where. Mm -hmm. Just like you mentioned before about you feel like the state numbers are inflated or maybe, you know, maybe weighted based on certain communities. We know that our numbers are 
you know, are deflated, for lack of a better word, based on certain areas and certain communities. How can we pour into that and also still pour into the communities that are still thriving and still have those, you know, that keep the numbers up? Because there is a lot of disparity that exists when you peel peel back those numbers and you look at, you know, where the lowered scores are, which communities, um, you know, which social economic groups, which race and ethnicities and all those other things. So I think just taking a, a real deep dive into that. And just saying, okay, how can we strategize? And we're doing some of that work, but how can we continue to make sure that we're doing it and keep plugging through? Again, we made a lot of, um, you know, headway, but then the pandemic happened. How can we make sure that as much as possible, we don't expect another pandemic, number one, hopefully, that doesn't happen again in any of our lifetimes. But even with whatever happens, because we're also in a hurricane prone area, right? So there's a lot of things that can come to tip the apple cart. But if we have a strong foundation for all children, Mm -hmm. that means that, um, when those things happen, because we know that they will, um, that we'll still be better prepared to be able to to move forward together as a community. So what's next? What's next for you personally? What's next for wages? What's next? I just think that I am super excited about the direction for wages. Our board, um, you know, very engaged, very involved, very passionate board who really, you know, um, supports the initiatives that we're trying to do. Um, and I just think that there's no limit really to what can be done as we try to improve our community and work together um, with all the stakeholders in our community. And, you know, that includes every part of the community um, to fulfill what I believe is um, the vision, not just for our organization, but anybody's vision for what you'd like to see as a flourishing, thriving community where we're all able to, you know, to, to be healthy, um, to have, um, have safety and security um, economic and financial, um, as well as otherwise. And so um, I don't know what the next five years is going to hold uh, for wages. I don't know what it's going to hold for me, but I know that uh, wages are going to continue to be here. And um, and we are going to continue to move forward um, along with the rest of the community as we try to increase and enhance the outcomes for everybody. Outstanding. Well, Ms. Patricia, thank you so much thank for you. your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right.